Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. As always, we all have a story. We all have struggles, and the good news is we are not alone. Uh, this episode, this week, we're joined by a buddy of mine who I met in 2019 at Renew Ministries that I've talked about uh, in Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee. But uh, Steve Hazel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. What's up? Good to see you, man. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Uh, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago, but I haven't seen you since uh, 2019 when I was in Chattanooga and you know, I was on the farm for only five days because I had hiccups, as I'm sure you remember. Oh my goodness, man, that was uh, that was an interesting five days. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad uh, you're in a different place than you were when I met you. Very different. Um, that was a long year, and got back and thought things were going to be better, and they were until um, last year, as I've talked about on the show. Um, but as we were just talking about, you know, the Lord. He makes things happen, whether it's how we expected it, uh, and uh, but he'll grab your attention one way or the other. So, yeah. yeah. And you're in Florida, and we were just talking. You're safe. Um, this will come out in a couple weeks, but right now we're recording. The hurricane's down in Florida or in Charleston maybe now, but uh, you're safe, which is a blessing since uh, it's a destructive down there. Yeah, man definitely want to pray for those people it's just uh it's brutal what they're going through on the on the gulf coast of florida you know my family's over on that coast and they just said you know they weren't even in the eye of the storm they were in naples and they just said that the devastation and stuff downtown naples was was brutal you know so it's just uh definitely praying for those people and just safety and Hopefully I am on the East coast of Florida. So, you know, that's something that I'm already thinking about now is that, you know, once the rescue efforts, like once they're able to get to the people and start to assess damage and stuff like that, I'd love to go over and try to get involved in that in any way I can clean up crews, whatever it is. Yeah. Cause I've been looking on the news and Instagram and there's just a lot of damage down there and uh, a lot of people who are going to need help uh, just from homes damaged, uh, injuries even uh, so definitely help will be needed um, so what are you doing who tell us your story kind of as I've always uh, referred back to recently previous guest uh, Robin Eckerd he says you don't know a man until you know his story um, and that is true because uh, a lot of times when you hear what someone does for work or who they are you kind of compare yourself to them and once you hear a man's story, you're able to relate to them and even be more vulnerable. Um, sure. And put so um, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, today, like right now, what what, what does Steve Hazel do? I, I'm actually I'm an admissions coordinator for a uh, detox and residential treatment center in South Florida called Still uh, Detox. Uh, you know, I've been working there for a little bit of time now. Uh, you know, because, you know, part of my story uh, is one of addiction and recovery from, you know, substance use and then also, you know, mental health uh, disorders as well. Uh, and then I'm also very involved in this recovery church uh, movement, uh, which is something very near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, purpose behind that ministry, just really being a bridge between 12 step fellowships, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, stuff like that in the church. Uh, which definitely feel that there's a need there. I've, I've, I've needed both uh, at different times, but at times felt like I didn't fit in 
in either one of them. One, because having a, you know, a relationship with Jesus, you know, being my, you know, being the highest power uh, and then being, you know, kind of feeling at times like a second class Christian, you know, so to speak, uh, you know, in church and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what my life looks like today. But, uh, you know, there's definitely a story uh, behind how I got uh, to the place that I'm in now. Yeah. And, but I definitely resonate with what you just said, kind of, you feel like a second class citizen almost at times. Um, and that was for me going to church or small groups. I just felt like, why would, why should I be here? Cause I still have one foot in the door and one foot out kind of within the church and the relationship with God. And, um, but that's what addiction and mental health will do. It'll tell you all those lies. The devil will, you know, put that in your head and you start to believe it, um, to where you are like, I am second class. Why would these people want to be around me? If they knew who I really was, they wouldn't want to associate with me, but that's all a lie. And, um, yeah, I'm blessed to have met you in 2019 and, you know, our stories aren't over today, but they weren't over uh, when we met and uh, we were on the journey and hoping that Renew would uh, fix us, you know, maybe at that time, but it's not a quick fix and um, the Lord has plans and he meets you where you need to be met and uh, wakes you up. And like we were saying earlier last year, mine was on life support when I kind of got the realization life can be this way, or I need to wake up and make some changes to actually be able to enjoy life and how it was intended. Um, and I know a little bit of your story, but, um, our listeners don't know any of it. And, um, I'm excited to hear more of what the Lord has done, uh, as you have a powerful story as well that needs to be heard. So thank you for coming on and, uh, just your vulnerability. Yeah, I re man, I really appreciate it. Like it's, uh, it's an honor. I love what you're doing. Honestly, I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I've looked on since, since you started doing this and I was kind of like, man, I, I want a podcast. Like I want, I want that. Now I haven't, I have so much busy stuff going on. I'm getting married in, uh, 25 days. I'm getting congrats. Married. Congrats. Yeah, absolutely. So by the time, by the time you actually probably, uh, people listen to this episode, I'll probably be walking down the aisle, but, uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to have a podcast and now I'm just settling to be on yours, uh, you know, for the time being. So I appreciate it. Hey, we're, we're lucky and blessed to have you on. And, uh, yeah, two years ago, three years ago, um, probably marriage wasn't, you know, something that you thought was, uh, a reality. Maybe I know for me at that time, it wasn't something I want and desire. And I know, uh, one day I'll be blessed hopefully to, uh, find a girl who will put up with me, but, uh, looking back, you know, with how I was living, I, no wonder I was broken up with and no one wanted to be with me, just how I was living. So, um, well, first of all, you know, she'll be blessed to have you, you know, especially like with the work that the work that you've been doing, but yeah, and man, this is, this is actually absolutely a miracle. Uh, only by God's grace could, could something like this happen. Like, it's actually a restoration story to be uh, completely transparent. I mean, this is uh, a woman that's been, uh, you know, one of my best friends for about eight years now. Uh, and she was always there for me. You know, we talk about like sometimes there being family members in our lives, especially with the, the type of past that we have, uh, you know, whether it be addiction or mental health, just people that kind of stuck, stuck by you uh, no matter what, through thick and thin. You know, this was a woman that was just always 
uh, there to support, you know, and it wasn't a romantic, you know, there wasn't a romantic involvement or anything. We were, we were friends. She actually was at one point, uh, you know, a, um, you know, in a relationship with a good friend of mine, uh, who went, ended up actually passing away of a heroin overdose, uh, six years ago that succumbed to this, you know, this, um, addiction and, and, you know, mental, mental illness as well. Uh, and he passed away and just, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, we've developed a close relationship again, uh, only by, you know, God's work in my life and me, me getting out of the way a little bit. Uh, he was able to see the work that I was putting in and, um, you know, somehow, somehow we're here. Somehow. Amen. Amen. And the things that you never thought were possible, God can make a way and will make it happen if it's part of his plan and which is awesome and a miracle. Yeah, man, it's it's Romans eight twenty eight. You know, it's like he works all things, all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I, uh, you know, growing up, you know, growing up, I was a good kid. I mean, I think we have some similarities, like good families. You know, mm -hmm. uh, my father, my mother, they've been married, I think, for over 35 years at this point. Uh, my dad was a He's a retired fire chief uh, up in Massachusetts, uh, grew up. They brought us to church. I mean, uh, they, you know, my dad was at all my baseball games. You know, he used to play catch with me in the backyard after school, uh, was at my football games in high school, all those things. And, uh, you know, I was just a kid that something was a little off. You know, I think, you know, I, I always struggled to fit in, you know, that feeling of belonging you know i didn't think i was a cool you know it's probably a lie you know but i didn't think i saw other guys with with best friends or i saw other people that were like always invited to the parties and stuff and sometimes i just always felt left out i wasn't the best athlete i wasn't the smartest kid in the class you know i wasn't the best at, at music or anything like that and uh you know i was always seeking belonging and uh you know come 14 15 years old got introduced to, you know, alcohol and honestly, Texas Hold'em, you know, we were playing a lot of poker in the basement back then. And I, I fell in love, uh, you know, with that action, you know, and I fell in love with, with, with alcohol from an early age. And that was the first time that I felt a sense of connection and a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I think the first time I experienced alcohol was freshman year as Jack Daniels. Um, but, um, yeah, I was never the best athlete or definitely not the smartest in the class. Um, no musical talent, even though I was uh, played the trombone. And I think that was more of my dad saying, you know, just keep trying. You'll, you know, and um, but yeah, it was, you know, I wasn't the best looking and but there was all these wants, wants. And I, you know, was always comparing myself to others um, and we didn't have social media when I was around, we had MySpace, I think. Um, and then Tom, good know, old. <laughs> yep. And then later on Facebook, but I mean, just nowadays with social media, it's scary with these kids. Uh, cause it adds a different kind of bullying. People can hide behind a computer or a phone. Whereas in our days you had to do it to their face or, I mean, you would talk behind their back, but eventually it would get around, you know, it's not where you can just hide behind a computer and, um, and it, I think suicide is probably higher now, um, due to that, um, or at least a big factor of it, I would say. Yeah. I don't even, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, we all say this now, you know, the parents are saying it, we're saying it. It's like, I can't imagine what it's like to grow up as a kid these days, but I mean, but it's true. 
You know, it's like social media, you know, all these things that we think are good things, you know, inherently good. Like we have, oh, I got Google. I can look this up and have like any piece of information I want at my fingertips in, you know, five seconds. Right. It's mm-hmm. just there. It's readily available. But uh, it does so much more harm than we could ever imagine. You know, I think about it just from the I talk to my, um, you know, girlfriend about it all. You know, my fiance, my my soon to be wife about, about the fiance. Yeah, fiance, girlfriend, whatever. See, it still hasn't sunk in yet, right? It's, it's, it's not. It's surreal. Uh, but you know, y- you have the GPS, and nobody knows how to get anywhere anymore because, mm-hmm. like, you're so dependent and reliant upon those things. It dumbs us down. It's just like, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, I loved sports growing up, and I could memorize every single stat of every player. Like, I could tell you what you know, uh, David Ortiz batting average was in, in 2003, I think it was like 282. He had 145 RBIs and, you know, 42 home runs. But, you know, I can remember stats like that, but now it's like, we don't remember anything because we know we can just look it up on Google. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I rabbit trail on that, on that, you know, on that topic, but it's just, we think these things are good things. And we think that it's so great to be, oh, it's so awesome to be able to communicate with this person uh, so easily and stay in touch. And sometimes I think about it like, hey, some people we just probably aren't meant to see outside of like going to school or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, is, correct. you know, and we're staying in contact with people we have no business staying in contact with, comparing ourselves to people that, you know, we're met in our life for only a season, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a highlight reel for a lot of people. And you look at that and you're like. Oh, they're at the beach. They're in Punta Cana. They're in Turks and Cakes, and I'm over here battling depression. But that's just a highlight reel. That that they're not living down there. They're not enjoying life, you know, every day on the beach. You know, that's not reality. And but our mind tells us, oh, they have it all. I have nothing. It's, it's that, a lie. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's something I wanted to talk about today. Like when I I was thinking about going on uh, and talking to you on this podcast is like. This is a daily, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, this is a daily struggle sometimes. Like, my mental health, like, on Sunday, you know, I, I think I did post some pictures on social media of me and my fiance and her son. And, like, we had a wonderful evening Sunday. And I woke up Monday morning, bro, and I had a dark cloud, like, hanging over me. Like, I don't know what it was, but, like, I didn't want to wake up and go to, go to work. And I know a lot of people are like that on Monday mornings, but I've been in a funk the last couple of days. And I think part of it has to do with physical illness. And that's why it's like, you know, when we have colds and coughs, like those things can really set off being physically sick can set off my mental health uh, as much as anything. Uh, But, you know, in reality, like people post these things on social media. It's like life isn't always, you know, sunshines and, you know, rainbows and puppies. No, there's uh, the dark clouds hanging over you and, as I've mentioned uh, in some previous episodes, um, like this summer, I mean, I had some mild depression and was trying just to white knuckle it as, you know, we've both done with addiction and other things, but you can't always do that. And it's okay to get medical help. And, um, you know, I'm in therapy uh, twice a month and that's something I'll probably continue to do for the rest of my life. Uh because it's just able to share my life experiences, good and bad, um, with someone that um, I've gotten to know very well over the last five years. But 
when I was telling him um, this, you know, I was like, I think it's just anxiety about the career and being single. And I've always lived in an apartment. So there was people around noises and um, now I'm in a house. So it's a lot quieter. Um, and he was just asking me things and he was like, I think it's mild depression. And when he told me that, it, you know, the old me would have been like, no, that's not it. Trying to make all these excuses. But when he said that, he was like, you know, go talk to your, um, your psychiatrist. And, um, I was like, all right, you know, the old me would not have wanted to, uh, cause I would have had to admit, you know, I was depressed and there was something wrong with me. But sure. once he brought that to my attention, I was like, all right, I'm going to go get this taken care of because I don't have to feel like this. And I know it's just lies and, um, you know, me comparing myself to others, even unintentionally comparing myself to others and was able to, you know, overcome that and get on, uh, medication, uh, to help me. And, you know, you don't always need medication, but sometimes you do. And for me, I believe medication can help if it's used in the right way. And, um, you know, when I was at renew, <laughs> we went back to the hiccups, you know, I had just come off of, I think it was 10 to 15 pills. I was taking four times a day. And, uh, cause I got released from the psych ward in Memphis right before coming to renew. And, um, when I got in there, they didn't have my medical charts, which still baffles me why the, uh, the treatment center halfway house didn't give them my medical charts. Cause they put me on medicine. I hadn't been on in forever, added new medicine. Um, and so I think it was the combustion from coming off of a lot of those, you know, drugs, um, some were, you know, psychotics, antidepressant, anti-anxiety, and just caused that combustion to where I had the hiccups for 12 days or whatever, and only lasted the farm for five days before I got kicked off and sent down to the downtown part of, part of Renew. Yeah, I mean, but that shows you too, like the, the two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like the over-medication side of it, the side where like we just want to throw a pill at everything. And then like the, you know, what you're experiencing, experiencing now. And it's, uh, but, you know, I love what you alluded to there when you were talking is, is just that vulnerability to be able to admit like, Hey, I need help. Like I need to ask for help. Like I think therapy, you know, for me before, and my fiance was a big proponent of this. She's been going to therapy. She, she has some major trauma from uh, you know, uh, some different things over the course of her life. And, and she was a major proponent of me, like going to therapy and seeking counseling. And I had already always had a bad experience. Right. And, and I would say to anybody out there that, you know, has gone to therapy in the past or counseling in the past and has had a bad experience. Like I would say, try again, you know, like you will eventually find, you know, you can find somebody that you're comfortable with. And I'm so blessed, uh, you know, that I have a man now, a doctor in my life now, um, that I, that I don't want to stop seeing, you know, and I go to him and it's just another tool in the toolbox. And I think we just have to have our toolbox, you know, loaded with things, but therapy is definitely, definitely an important one for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, as you just said, you know, if you've had a bad experience with therapy, go out, try it again. I mean, it took me, I don't know how many therapists I saw before I found Dr. Dodd at level ground Christian, um, therapy or counseling here in Charlotte. Um, and not to knock those therapists that I saw, but none of them really worked for me. It's almost, it's like a relationship. You kind of got to go and date and court and just see if it's a good fit. It's not always going to be a good fit. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you and something's wrong with the therapist or their practice. You just have to have someone who 
you know, works well with you and your demeanor and can understand you and just help you become that better person and enjoy life more. And, um, you know, it took me a few years to find that. And thankfully I found Dr. Dodd and thankfully, you know, you found the doctor in your life now. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, even if life's going great, you still need someone to share those experiences with and just to, you know, help you navigate life. Cause at some point, uh, we've all had struggles and in our future, we're going to have struggles. It's just good to have someone kind of outsider there to help you. For sure. For sure. And that's like been a big, you know, a big part of my story. I think a big part of like where I'm at today has been that, you know, obviously community, super important, you know, and having, you know, people around you, friends around you, you know, for me, it's been, you know, sponsors and, and mentors and stuff like that as well. But you know, definitely adding in the the therapist and Dr. Otto, the guy that I see now, you know, the gentleman that I see now has been, has been huge. Yeah. And like you said, family and community. Uh, and as we both know, community, it's not always healthy community. You can have unhealthy community, negative community, people who will bring you down. Uh, but the community we're talking about and that we've experienced in these last couple of years is that healthy community, the family, those who are going to kind of call you on your BS and, you know, hold you accountable to who they know that you're called to be and can be. Um, you know, like when my dad called probably an hour ago, um, the old me would not have answered that call and would have said, I'll call him back and forgotten. But now me and my dad, you know, I answer that call and we have a great relationship. Uh, and it's, it's not sad, but you know, looking back, I wish I hadn't had to go through everything to realize my dad's a pretty cool guy. You know, I can have a healthy, fun relationship with him and enjoy that bond uh, with my father. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I'm struggling, him and my mom, you know, sister, there's the people that I call just to bounce ideas off of or say, hey, I'm struggling. Like, can I come over and hang out? Um, whereas before, you know, turn off the lights, get in bed and just put on movies all day or, you know, hit the bar or, you know, go do some drugs and just numb it. Um, and that's not the answer. And <laughs> me and you both have found out the hard way, uh, <laughs> the negative consequences to some coping mechanisms that we decided to, to do and try and, uh, white knuckle, you know, these addictions, this mental health on our own when you can't do it on your own. Yeah, for sure. You know, that was the story of my life. You know, like you say, bad community. Like I said, I started drinking and partying at you know 15 with you know kind of started to hang out with the bad crowd and like the guys that got into a little more trouble people that allowed me to do those things and wouldn't pass judgment against me you know i didn't want anybody in my life that was gonna that was gonna you know tell me what i was doing was wrong or tell me that what i was doing uh you know wasn't a good idea you know i just wanted everybody to co-sign uh whatever it was that i wanted to do and you know <laughs> There's a way that seems right to a man and it's, it's, it's way is death, right? It's, it's destruction. And that's what I was on. I was on a road to destruction, you know, from that time in high school, by the end of my high school career, I was drinking every single day. You know, I got kicked off, almost got kicked off my high school baseball team at 18 because on senior skip day, I decided to show up uh, drunk to practice 45 minutes late. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm throwing, you know, I was a pitcher, so I didn't really have to, you know, take infield, outfield or anything like that. So I'm just like 
jogging and playing a little long toss. Nobody really knows what's going on. But at the end of practice, we're running the bases and doing like some Cincinnati drills or whatnot. Well, I'm rounding home plate and I trip over. Th- I'm I'm rounding third base and I trip over third base. I fall flat on my face. And, uh, you know, my coach smelt the out. One of the coaches smelt the alcohol. And he's like, hey, man, like, do you think that you might have a, a problem with alcohol? He drove me home that day because he knew I was too drunk uh, to drive. And I remember him telling me, you know, he had had a, his sister and his brother-in-law had had similar issues. And he was like, Steve, I really think you should go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'm 18 years old at the time. And I'm just like, there is no way that I'm an alcoholic and that I'm going to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's like, if you ever want to throw another pitch for this team, like you're going to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's kind of funny. I go to the meeting and, uh, you know, I sit down at that meeting and I'm like, you know what? The The coffee sucked, but the cookies were all right and the people were nice. So if I'm like all you people, when I'm 40, I'll come back here. And, uh, you know, five days later, I, you know, after a suspension of five games, I go back to the high school baseball team. And I told my coach, I said, I went to that meeting, you know, it was great. You know, people were awesome. Like, he's like, do you think you have a problem with alcohol? I said, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I drink, you know, I don't, even back then in that day, I knew that I didn't drink like my friends. I knew that once I picked up a drink, like the way that my body reacted to alcohol was different than everybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, went back, I told the coach, honestly, like, yeah, do I think I have a problem with alcohol, but I didn't have a solution for it. You know, I just put it on the back burner and just tried willpower. And I stayed sober, I think for another, you know, two months. And then 4th of July rolled around my girl, you know, I was up the beach. My girlfriend at the time had a beach house up in New Hampshire and then her dad's drinking and he's got a full bar in the basement. And I'm just like, it's go time, baby. Like I've yeah. done really good for the last two months. Girlfriend's off my back. Parents aren't mad at me anymore. You know, the the trouble of a few weeks ago is gone. And uh, I started drinking again and instantly, you know, I got drunk. And that was like kind of just the story of my life, you know, for, for the next, you know, I have had, I had had stints of 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 time where i didn't drink throughout my 20s and stuff uh but for the most part you know that was my story i i don't drink for a period of time and i pick up a drink of alcohol and then automatically it's just off to the races yeah and that's kind of me with um cocaine and just other drugs um which you know drugs are different than alcohol um to the normal person um, you know, drugs just shouldn't be touched. But for me, I couldn't just do one little line and be like, all right, I'm good for the night. I had to go until my body would say you can't do anymore. Like just shut down and just, I'm shaking while falling asleep or trying to fall asleep. Um, but yeah, I mean, just we're wired differently. Um, but your coach could have reacted differently and just shamed you and put you down, but he took a different approach and, you know, 15 So 20 years later, it's stuck with you and you remember what your coach did for you, um, where, you know, there's experiences uh, where someone would have just shamed you and kicked you off the team and said, we don't need him. But instead, he took that loving kind of approach, tough love almost. Yeah, there's, you know, there's those moments in our lives, I think, that define us, you know, just those moments that you can put little 
little markers, you know, that, that could be those, those highlights, good, bad, uh, indifferent, but they're, they're moments that like, you'll never forget. And I think they change the trajectory of your life. And certainly, you know, that moment, that conversation on my parents' front porch was one that was like, Hey man, you don't have to live like this. Like I wasn't done yet. Right. I wasn't at, at my end. I hadn't come to the end of myself yet, but there was somebody that loved and cared about me enough to say, hey, man, like you don't have to go on like this and you don't have to live like this. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm forever grateful for Mike O'Keefe, you know, my, my high school baseball coach for for doing that. Quick story. A couple years later, I actually am sober. Right. I get my first DUI at the age of 19. Uh, you know, after I continued to drink for another year, I end up getting a, a drunk driving charge. And I am uh, then I end up getting sober. Right. I wanted my parents off my back. I wanted my driver's license back. You know, I wanted my girlfriend back. You know, that never came back. But, you know, things are better now. You Correct. know, and you're getting we, you're getting married get in 25 days. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I thank God I didn't marry the other one. But so this is, uh, you know, two years later, I actually happen to be sober. Right. And then I'm speaking in a meeting and I'm telling that story. Right. And I, and this is, this is probably 30 minutes, 40 minutes from my house where I grew up. And I'm telling my story. I'm telling that story of my high school baseball coach sending me to my first AA meeting. And now at this time, I'm like two years sober. And a guy comes up to me after the meeting. He goes, Hey, who was your high school baseball coach? And I'm like, he's like, was it Mike O'Keefe? I said, yeah. He's like, He's like, yeah, I remember him call, calling me and saying, what do I do with this kid? You know, <laughs> so it's a, it's amazing how life, you know, life is. It's funny. Like you never know the people um, that you'll meet and the impact that like telling a story uh, can have. Because I, I can't even imagine what the encouragement to him might have been to see that, you know, he spent that time, had that conversation with his brother-in-law, you know, went through those uncomfortable conversations, sharing his past. A lot of times we want to put our past behind us, right? And, you know, we don't want to tell our family all the things that we went through, or we don't want to tell our new coworkers or the new people in our lives who we used to be, right? But the power of him sharing his story with somebody else led that person to know who to call when they had somebody else in their life that needed help. And then I can't only imagine what the encouragement was to that man when he was sitting there and was like, wow, this kid actually like, you know, started to get better. You know, the, the story didn't end there, Correct. unfortunately, but, you know, it's just another testament to how powerful our stories are. And I think that's a great deal and how important is what you're doing. Yeah, because um, I never wanted to be uh, vulnerable in the past. You know, I always hid from my troubles, you know, like. I would get arrested and go to work the next day or, you know, fall on that weekend and act like everything was fine. But deep down, I was like, do you think they know I got arrested? You know, what's going to happen? Um, whereas now I don't have to worry about that because my life is different. But I just didn't want anyone to know. I thought I wanted people to like me or fear me. And um, that's not how life's meant to be. You know, I wanted to be the good looking guy who every girl wanted. And if you were a guy who I didn't like, I wanted you to fear me and be scared of me. And I wanted, you know, parents to love me. But deep down, there was a lot of struggles um, and demons that I hadn't, you know, brought to the surface and dealt with. Um, and until you deal with them, you know, your story's not over. Your stories are never over until the day you die. But um, your story can get better, as ours have, thankfully. You know, it's a miracle. 
Um, but it does take stories um, and people pouring into you during those tough times when it might be uncomfortable for that person. But two years down the road, like you were just saying, you know, that Mike, your baseball coach, he was like, wow, you know, the impact I had on Steve. Um, it's just, you know, people, you just don't know. And um, that's why, you know, this podcast, this show, um, you know, I was on my deathbed woke up off life support. You can't get, you know, much worse than that. Um, and waking up, hitting rock bottom, realizing you had just been coded. You were a John Doe brought into the hospital um, from an overdose by a fire truck, and they found you on the street. Um, and um, no wallet, nothing. And one of your best friend's sisters recognizes you in the hospital. Like, it doesn't get much rock bottom than that for me. And when I realized that and just saw how much love people had for me when they found out, like, it just brought me to tears because I was like, I actually am love. People would miss me and love me. Whereas before, I was like, why do people love me? Like, why am I still here? You know, and suicide was always on my mind. Thankfully, the attempts, you know, I never went through with them. The You know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit was able to prevent them from happening. But, you know, if they had happened, you know, or... You know, I wouldn't be here being able to do this podcast and speak with you and share my story and have others like you come on and share their story because we all have a story and we all have struggles at different point in our life and we're not alone. You know, we need community and that's the purpose of this podcast the platform to share your story, others to share their story and for listeners to be able to hear those stories and be like, oh, wow, Steve has this story. I can resonate with his story. Charles has this story. I can resonate with that. You know, Stephanie has this story. Eliza, this, you know, it's, you know, we need to hear that. Um, and, and it's, it's also therapy for me just to have these conversations with people once a week, twice a week. Yeah, it's super, it's super cool. I think it's, 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 it's just amazing. Uh, you know, we, we want to suppress all that stuff, right? Like I, I just, I, I want to close the box and close the door on that part of my life. And it's like, people are going to know you for, you know, my, I think my dad used to always say this to me, like people are going to know you for the bad stuff. You might as, they might as well know you for the good stuff. And they might as well know the story that, that got you to where you are today. You know, so often, like we want to go to a job interview and we don't want to explain, you know, what the gap in the resume is, or we, or we go and we talk and we have a conversation with somebody and we just want to leave that part of our life out because it's just uncomfortable to talk about. But it's like, if they look up, Char you know, if they look up Stephen Hazel, right. That's another reason why I think I'm okay going back to Steve, right? Is if they look up Stephen Hazel, you know, they're going to see my last mugshot, you know, unfortunately. And, but you know what the thing is, is like, I'm not that guy today, right? I, I, I am, I am a new creation and like God has done continued to do a work in my life. And I look at, you know, from just that one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, when it comes to talking about telling your story and saying what, like what God has done in your life is like Mark 5, right? He heals the demoniac, you know, this guy that's been in chains, uh, you know, for so long, and, the, you know, he heals him. And then instead of him going back and, you know, with Jesus, he wanted to go follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, man, go, you know, go to the next, go back to your home city and tell them what, what I've done for you. You know, and I think that's just so important for us too, is like not to be ashamed of, uh, of those things and like just, 
say what God's done in our life, say what, you know, therapy has done, done for us, say what, you know, if medication has helped you share what that is, if, you know, if it's Alcoholics Anonymous, if it's, you know, whatever it may be, you know, recovery church movement for me, you know, whatever it is to share about it. Yeah. Um, and to your point, like you can't hide from the past. People can look up our names and see mug shots and they can put two and two together, but it might not be the real story, you know, and if they see you now or they just see the old person. Why not tell them, you know, the new creation, you know, who God uh, took from uh, the previous part of your life and brought you into new creation and, you know, where you're able to enjoy life and be a contributing member to society. You know, um, last week's guest, um, you know, he asked me, um, you know, since, since I got laid off uh, a couple of Fridays ago, so looking for a job and he said, you know, how is, uh, the record going to play in? And I was like, you know, I really haven't thought about that. You know, I'm just trusting God, but, I have a story and I'm not afraid to tell it. You know, I have a podcast where whoever listens can, you know, hear my story, but, um, I'm, God's going to put me at the place he wants me and wants to use me. Um, so I can't fear what that, uh, record, you know, is going to hold me back from employment. Um, you know, it's scary, but it's exciting times to see where he's going to lead me. But the rest record, that's part of my story. And, you know, I can't hide behind it. I can only tell. Yeah. Those, those were some dark days, but I've gotten through those and I'm a new person now and you're going to be lucky to have me at your company. Yeah. And, th and that's really like one of those things. And I guess before, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but like one of the few things I did want to share before we wrapped up is like, you know, how God used one of the worst things that I could ever expect to happen in my life. And, and, you know, it was a deep, dark time, you know, much like you, Charles, like this is, is a relatively newer journey, you know, for me as well. Like, you know, it's like for a long time I was in and out of like healing and, and recovery and, 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 and had some relapses, some might call it, or some might, you know, might call it like, you know, setbacks or, um, you know, whatever you may call it, mm -hmm. you know, I, I drank, um, it's a little over a year and a half ago now. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't a prolonged thing. I was in a deep, dark, uh, depression. Again, I was comparing myself, not being where I thought I should be or where I wanted to be in that moment. I just kind of wanted to fast track and expedite things. I wasn't making enough money. Oh, poor me. You know, I wish that I could have the wife, the family, the house, the picket fence now and just all these things. Instead of being in a place of gratitude, you know, I was I was wishing I was in a different spot. And I found myself, you know, back in this position I had many times before. Hey, maybe I, I might as well drink um, or a place of self-sabotage, like even things were kind of going good in a good direction in my life but there was still still this little bit of uncertainty of like i'm gonna mess it up again because i always have i've mm. always i've always messed it up so i had this tendency to self-sabotage right and i'm like yeah well it's all gonna end up falling down anyway so i might as well be because at least i'm in control of my own destiny when i pick up a drink or i do drugs or I gamble, like I'm in control of my own destiny. I know it's not going to lead anywhere good, but it's just, just that inherent, uh, you know, sinful nature inside of me that wants to control absolutely everything. So I drank a year and a half ago and put it this way. I, 
I got in the course of a month, I got arrested twice, you know, by God, by God's grace, uh, you know, the first time uh, the state actually wasn't going to pick up the charges. I was I was drunk, stumbling around somewhere, just drunk and did something stupid, uh, broke a window, wasn't going to be a big deal. State knew that I wasn't really trying to rob everything, mm -hmm. but they were, you know, they gave me an opportunity. They didn't pick up the charges. Well, I found out that they didn't pick up the charges. And three hours later, I get a DUI, a drunk driving. Mm. Now, mind you, when I got released from jail on that first charge a month previous, I, I did about seven days in jail and then someone bonded me out. I remember the bail bond, uh, the uh, sheriff in there, the deputy sheriff that was releasing me, the, the jail, the prison guard. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he looks at me in the face and he goes, he was in a rush to get us out of there. And then he pulls me aside. and He's like, wait, I have something to say to you, Hazel. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, but I know that God has a plan for your life. And he's like, he's like, I don't know if you're in a bondage to addiction. I don't know what it is. Now, you're mind you, in Palm Beach County Jail in, in Florida, you're, in Palm Beach County, you're not supposed to talk about the Lord. Right. So this guy was like risking his job, his livelihood to have this conversation with me. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, Steve, I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, but God's got a plan for your life and he can heal you and restore you and free you right now in this moment. All you have to do is turn and follow him. But then he said in the next breath, and now mind you, there's six other inmates waiting to get out. Like we're getting released from jail right now. These mm -hmm. guys got their property in their hands and they're like, yo, dude, what are you doing? Let's and go. Looks, they're like, Go. And he looks at me again and he says, he says, but I'll tell you one thing. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, when I got that DUI a month later, man, I just started bawling as I'm sitting in that in that um, the back of that cruiser, that cop car, because it it rang the bell like God's not going to be mocked. Like if I continue to go on and do what I'm doing, I'm going to reap the bad seeds that I'm sowing. And I had a moment of clarity in the back of that jail cell, man. And um, I went to treatment again and I got hooked up with, with these recovery church people when I got out and I just started ratting on myself. I started telling people what was going on when I was struggling, man. I called these people. I was talking to them. Um, you know, I just had brothers in Christ and, and just people just all surrounding me because I was finally being authentic to, to myself and what was really going on. I wasn't trying to put like when I was in renew ministry and, and all these other different things, I would put on this facade because I always thought that, Oh, well, you've been doing well for six months now. You can't, you can't let them know that you're struggling. It's like, Oh, I haven't had like a deep, you know, a relapse or I haven't gone through a deep bout of depression in a little bit of time. So, you know, what are people going to think? if I tell them the truth or that I'm having a bad day. And finally, by God's grace, I was able to start to get honest with people. And if I was having a bad day, I always had the best people around me. Ever since I tried to do the right thing and I got involved in recovery and I got involved in church, I've had good people around me. I haven't hung out with bad friends in years, but I was never able to truly get honest with another man. You know, sometimes I'd get honest with God, but I would never get honest with another man. And this time I was able to get honest. Needless to say, a year goes, 
it's it's almost a year goes by, Charles. This is a few months back. This is about six months ago now. I'm doing really well. Uh, I got like nine, ten months clean and sober. I, I I have a good job. I have this relationship with this woman that I'm about to marry back. My family's talking to me. I'm going over and visiting them at their house in Naples. Like things are really starting to do well. I'm, I'm, I got an opportunity to share my testimony at Recovery Church. Um, incredible. And I have to go to court for this DUI. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but I'm doing all the right thing. I went to treatment. I'm seeing a therapist. I'm sober. I can actually tell them that I'm sober. Like I'm taking you know, clean drug, like I have ability to, to prove that I'm doing all the right things. So I have a hearing, I, I decide, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a plea to the court, and the judge is gonna have leniency towards me. And I go there that day, and I bring my sponsor, who's also my pastor, I bring another good friend of mine, and we walk into that courthouse, and we think that, you know, we're gonna be successful. And I'm gonna get a little slap on the wrist, because that's what Steve always gets, he gets slap on the wrist, I go do good for a period of time. And then I go back to doing things my way. Mm -hmm. And uh, they tell me that I got to go to jail and uh, I'm 10 months sober. I'm doing the right thing. And they're like, you got to go to jail. And um, you're like, why Lord, you know, I'm doing good. Like I shouldn't, this, this shouldn't be happening. It's yeah, man. It was finally one of those situations where it's like, I deserve. And that's, that's where we always got to realize like anytime that I say I deserve, I got to check that statement at the door. You know, mm -hmm. I deserve this like no what i'm deserving of is death or what i'm deserving of is 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 far worse right Correct. Yep. Uh, for what i've done you know the things that i got away with i should be serving life in prison for you know oh, yeah. so <laughs> um poor poor me they they tell me i got a 90 day sentence and that i'm going i'm going to jail and instantly charles i'll tell you in, in that first moment when they told me that i was going to jail man i was so upset I was like, I was crying like a schoolgirl. Like, I'm glad that there were cameras in that courtroom. You would have thought that I was going to do 20 Life. years in San Quentin, you know? It was, it was bad. But yeah, and, you weren't prepared for it because, I mean, and same with me, you know, I was in jail and because uh, I literally, I got arrested an hour or two after I gotten released from uh, the ranch in Tennessee. You know, I went, was doing really good, and, you know, my dumbass decided to get high in the parking lot of the rehab center uh, for my drive back to Charlotte and got paranoid, and one thing led to another, um, and, you know, got arrested um, on some serious charges. Could have been a lot worse. Uh, there was someone else involved, and he did decided not to press any charges on me, but I was sitting in the uh, the jail cell for, you know, a few weeks and uh, I was like, I got to, you know, I learned acceptance. Now the Lord's teaching me acceptance, but I got out and kind of just what you were just talking about. Uh, I'm going to mess it up soon, you know, or the Lord's not going to be mocked. And not even a month later, you know, I wake up on life support because I decided to go and party and just do cocaine all night, you know, and that was, you know, the Lord, that was a wake up call in jail. And I decided not to adhere to it. And, you know, I wasn't purposely mocking the Lord, but I was mocking him because that was a wake up call. And there were several prior that I didn't adhere to, you know, just like your story. And he's eventually going to get your attention one way or the other. You know, and just by his grace and mercy, you know, I'm given a second chance and I'm not mocking him again.
because I know what happens if I mock him again. Amen. Yeah, and it's I don't want to I don't want to go back there, you know. And like we talked about it a couple weeks ago, man, is like, you know, we can go through struggles and we can have bad days, and it's just ha- having learning these coping mechanisms and learning to make an extra phone call and, and, and learning to, you know, send that text and and learning to, you know, inconveniently, you know, financially or time-wise, you know, call the therapist and say like, Hey, can you meet me? Can you have an emergency meeting or can, can I call you? You know, um, those are the things that we need to learn to do so that we don't wind up back in the ditch and doing something super detrimental, uh, you know, that does wind us up in, in these types of situations. And, you know, the jail, the jail came, you know, and, and, and finally, you know, I was able to talk to a couple friends before they, you know, they gave me two days to report because I, I basically cried like a schoolgirl, And I said, you know, I got to put my things in order. I got to get my affairs in order. I'm going away for 90 days, 90 old days. I got to get my affairs in order. So he gave me two days. And instantly, instantly, I called a couple of friends, a couple of friends of mine in the Recovery Church Movement. And it was uh, Pastor Junior St. Val and Pastor Daniel Cornad. And I had been doing this Disciples Making Disciples class with them. And we had been walking through this material about how to share our story, which is funny, and how to share God's story, uh, you know, as a result of like sharing our story. And Dan said to me, Pastor Dan said to me in that moment, he goes, Steve, you're going on mission. And I was like, all right, I'm going on mission. And I went into that jail, man. And it must have been the prayers of all the people around me that loved me and knew what was happening. Like I went in there, bro. And people were so receptive to the message of recovery, but even the gospel that I was blown away, bro. And I prayed, I'm like, Lord, use me in any way. Like if this cup, this cup's not passing, like I prayed for this, this to pass and, and jail not to be my part of my story. But since I'm going, let's make use of this time and use me. And I was able to go in there, man. And you know, we had guys give give their lives to the Lord. My fiance, she's she's a superstar. She was sending Bibles, like you know, they give you Bibles in there, but you know, mm-hmm. like in Bibles they give you, it's like a King James from like you know, I think King James actually published it on like the Gutenberg Press back in back you know today. You know, like these things are terrible and missing so pages. We, missing pages, everything. So we ended up getting some Bibles sent in. And we were able to get like some recovery literature to these people. And believe it or not, like as a result of me going to that place, uh, you know, we got one guy that I was in jail with that's at at Renew Ministries right now. Amen. Uh, Praise the Lord. I got another, we have another guy that just got out and he was at our recovery church meeting last week. Um, Amazing, amazing things happening. And we actually were able to, while I was in there, uh, they're able to get the recovery church uh, into Palm Beach County jails, right? So, like, praise God, he works Amen. all that's awesome, good, and and now this is, uh, you know, I've been out for about I don't know three, four months now, and it's just been uh, it's been awesome. That's awesome. Um, and another guest we had on previously, um, 
Mark Whitaker episode 30. And we were talking about that episode a little bit. Um, and if you haven't listened to it, y'all go check out episode 30. It's a powerful one. Um, about greed and just, you know, the Lord's going to get your attention and quick synopsis. You know, he had a six month plea deal, ripped it up and ended up having to serve eight and a half years. But if it hadn't been for the eight and a half years, there's a lot of people that would not know Christ himself included. You know, he might now, his wife was a believer, um, Ginger, but uh, at the time he wasn't in uh, the Colson Center guys, uh, led him to Christ while he was in prison. And then he was able to lead many to Christ in while he was inside and um, still able to do that from the outside a um, couple decades later. Um, but you just never know how the Lord's going to use you, you know, and one day I'll share, you know, with the listeners while I, while I was locked up uh, this last time in jail, still kind of, um, some stuff that only a couple people know about, but um, was blessed um, because, I mean, I should be in prison for 20 years or whatnot, a long time. Um, and, but that's not, that wasn't me. That's not me. And the other individual knew that. Um, and I mean, he had grace and mercy on me just as God um, shows us grace and mercy. Cause as we talked about earlier, you know, all we deserve is death. And, um, if he had just, you know, said, yes, I want to press these charges, you know, in addition to the other charges I had, you know, there would have been no plea deal. There would have been no probation. You know, I would have been in jail in Tennessee, Dixon County, and then, you know, sent to prison for, you know, a long time. Uh, but God had other plans and I should have, you know, adhered to uh, the wake up call, but I didn't. And, um, you know, as I said earlier and listeners know life support, but it took that. And now, you know, I have this platform, this podcast to have others on to share their stories. And if you, you know, hadn't uh, gotten that 90 day sentence, you wouldn't have, uh, met those other inmates and led them to Christ and, um, gotten that guy into renew and had the other one at the church recovery, you know, who knew knows where they would be. You know, and even who knows where you would be, because like we both have uh, said, our stories are a roller coaster. You know, we go up and eventually we self-sabotage and come down. You know, we've both been doing really good, but we can always go back to the old ways if we're not careful. You know, so we needed those big wake up calls to kind of shake us and be like, this can be your life if you allow it to be. Even after you had been, you know, clean for a while, 10 months and, you know, shared your testimony uh, with the recovery church and whatnot. Because um, when you're dealing with stuff and things seem to be going well after a while of recovery and good time, you know, you can think it's not going to happen again. And that's when the devil gets to you. Um, so we had to have these, you know, wake up calls, these rock bottoms uh, to really get us to listen and know who God is, who our father is, and uh, he won't be mocked. Amen. Yeah, it was such a, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that it's like that, it strengthens your faith. And for me, it was just like this refining process that really, and at the end of the day too, Charles, like this was, this was mercy. Like I realized, like I got so much grace. Like once I was actually sitting in those jails, I was like, oh my goodness, I only got... I only got 90 days. Like, this is incredible. And I was able to be grateful for it. But there was one verse that really stood out to me 
um, and, and minister to my heart while I was in there. And it was uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And God love, God loves us so much that he will correct us and, and put us on a different path sometimes. And that's that's been my story. I know that's similar to your story. And I'm just super thankful that you uh, you let me on today. Yeah, I mean, it's a blessing to you know have you on and for us to both still be here because um, as we both know, a lot of people along our journey have past due to addiction and mental illness even a few of our brothers from renew while we were there passed sadly um but god has a purpose for us and we have to adhere to that because we're still here on his earth and uh, we got to further his kingdom Um, that's what we're called to do whether it's here on a podcast in a jail cell um you know at work with your patients the clients that are coming um, and then whatever job, my future job will be that the Lord, you know, has called me to, and, you know, I don't know what that is yet. I'm excited to find out hopefully sooner rather than later. But, um, and then just, you know, if you hadn't been in jail for 90 days, your fiance, um, you know, now while recording, when this is, um, aired, probably your wife by that point, um, you know, getting Bibles into the jail and getting, um, the church recovery, um, you know, um, content, uh, into the jail. Um, I mean, you were there for 90 days, but those content, those Bibles are still going to be there. You know, the after effect of that, that will have on future inmates. Um, you know, uh, the Lord put you there for a reason and you didn't go in and woe is me. You know, after those, <laughs> you cried like a schoolgirl in the courthouse, th- thankfully no cameras, uh, you know, you had that, that realization, I got to go do this and let's not waste that time. You know, God's gifted me with the opportunity to go in for 90 days and I'm going to make the most of it because you could have done the complete opposite. Amen. Yeah. And uh, closer for those people, those strong people in our lives. Like when you have people that can, sometimes we can't see the, see the perspective, you know, like we, we're just too close to the situation and we need those people in our lives to just be able to give us you know, clear perspective, fresh perspective. Amen. Uh, so before we wrap up, um, I always ask our guests, you know, for advice and you've given a lot of advice, uh, wisdom over this hour. But, uh, when I ask you, what advice do you have for our listener that, you know, you hold, uh, true has gotten you through, um, you know, your dark days, whether your father gave it to your baseball coach, you learned it sitting in jail or from your church recovery, just what advice is something that gets you through the days and those dark times. Um, and that's kind of made you into the man that you are today. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing now is, um, it's, it's okay to, it's okay to be broken. You know, it's, it's okay to be, uh, you know, to struggle and to be a mess and, and just to get, you know, get before, you know, obviously I get before my Lord, my, my creator, you know, and I, and I get, get before him and, and pray to him and cry out to him. But it's so important to have those people, um, that'll hold you up, you know, when you can't hold yourself up and just to really get honest, like we think that we're, we're unique and that our problems and our, our thoughts and stuff are sicker or darker than anybody else's. But you know what I found time and time again is that when I share those uh, with another person, 
Um, they've been there. They've experienced similar things. I mean, yeah, share it with the right person. Um, but, but uh, you know, you share those things. We're only as sick as our secrets. So that, that would be my main thing is like, if you're, if you're struggling with something that's eating you alive today, uh, you know, some of the worst decisions that I've ever made and the most painful things that I've ever gone through in my entire life uh, is something that could have easily been, um, you know, alleviated if I had just turned to another person and got it off my chest and taken a suggestion. Amen. I mean, you couldn't have said it better. I agree with that 100%. Uh, but the Lord had other plans for us, and he's using our story um, that, uh, you know, we dug for ourselves, but he allowed it to happen so that we can minister and share our stories to others so that hopefully they don't have to go through those dark valleys that we went through. Um, and if those people are in it currently, just knowing that they're not alone, others have been there and, um, you know, there are ways to get out of that, um, without having to go sit in a jail cell or life support. Um, community is big and just reaching out and, um, just sharing your problems with the right people. Um, cause it'll alleviate a lot of that stress, that depression and, um, cause you're not alone as we thought we were, um. But, hey, Steve, thank you for coming on. It's a blessing. Uh, you know, it's a blessing that we're both still here, but it's an, honor ha- it's an honor to have you on just to share your story, your vulnerability. Um, and um, for anyone listening, uh, go check out uh, Champagne Problems. Uh, that's his buddy Patrick is uh, a host of Champagne Problems, so go check that out, y'all. Um, and we had a previous guest, uh, William Burleson, I think episode 40, who was on Champagne Problems as well. So check them out. Um, and again, thank you just for coming on your vulnerability. Excited uh, for what the Lord has in store for you, uh, especially 25 days from you know recording, which is today's the 29th. You'll be married. Um, that's exciting. You know, I can't wait for whenever my wedding day will be if I'm blessed to have a wife. Um, but, uh, the Lord's got good things for you and just glad that you're here to be able to share your story, brother. Uh, Thanks. So, yeah. Appreciate it. All righty. Y'all thank y'all for tuning in this week to the rabbit hole show. Um, as always, as I've said, you're not alone in your struggles. We all have struggles and we all have a story. Um, if you need someone to talk to, want to come on the show, uh, have any questions, comments, uh, please reach out the rabbit hole show. 21 at gmail.com um, and then give us a follow and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to love y'all and stay tuned for next week's episode